You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! It's hump day, everybody. How's it going? This is Tim Jasmine coming at you with another episode of Hump Day with Tim and the Professor. And as always, we have the greatest legal mind of the Pacific Northwest, if I do say so myself, Professor Aubrey. And hello. Happy Wednesday to you. So how has your week been going? It's been great. I'm not sure why I turned to the Lucky Charms guy just now, but um, my week has been awesome um lots of fun stuff going around going on not going around like a disease but going on um because surprise hepatitis c no (laughs) no not like that um i went to my first festival since the pandemic this weekend and uh, helped smoke some meat at the reed ren fair (laughs) it had a super great time the Beavis and Butthead fan and me folks started giggling in the background. That's why she stumbled there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Smoked meat. <laughs> Smoked meat. Uh, it turned out really super delicious and everybody had a really great time and it was super fun. And I have a number of other camp out type festival things hopefully happening this year over the spring and summer. So it was a nice kickoff to that season. Nice. Yeah. So things are getting warmer, things are getting more light out here up north. Um, We are in the midst of the most illuminated 14 weeks of the year right now. So, um, We actually see the sun. Yes, so for those of us who love sunshine, this is the prime time. Indeed, indeed. So um, this is going to be an exciting and fun and interesting week on Hump Day, I hope. Um, We've got a few things going on. We're going to talk about our playlist for the week and then jump into our topic uh, for the week, which is going to be how to be trauma-informed in your dealings with other people. All right, yeah, but the, um, as you mentioned first, uh, the playlist in question, um, we wanted, at first we thought we would tackle, you know, hey, what are some songs that have helped us through traumatic experiences, and then we thought, yeah, maybe we don't necessarily want to talk about that type of stuff on the show, and then we were um, thinking about uh, some topics, and the professor thought, why not bring up music from the year I was born, 1974? So we both came up with our five favorite songs from that year. Yeah, absolutely. We are only a couple of weeks away from my birthday. And so, of course, I am thinking about how awesome my birthday is going to be. And um, so that's why it occurred to me, because I get into birthday month mode, because today is May 1st. Happy May Day, everybody. As we record this, it is the International Workers' Day. Yes, before 
anyway, I was going to get all e-worry about the news, but, you know, let's uh, talk about, um, let's talk about the playlist here. Uh, we had some really good songs this week. Uh, what is your first choice? My first choice is going to be Benny and the Jets by one Mr. Elton John, who in 1974 had come into his own and I think this is a song of his at the at the height of the um Elton John experience. Indeed. Um this my first song is from um the first band I ever paid to see in concert and that is Kiss, the reunited Kiss, uh the original members with the makeup and the first song that they played is the first song off their first album, Deuce. Uh so that was uh, really fun to see. But similar to Elton John, um the music business was pretty different at that time because both Kiss and Elton John and I believe a, a number of other artists in the era had multiple out al- new albums of new material released in that year. I know because um, he had Benny and the Jets uh, off of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, but he also had Caribou Rock that year. Right. Yeah. I mean, there were some very prolific artists who were who were publishing at that time. And you have to remember it was pre-video, pre-cassette. The album was really still a thing. And packaging things as albums is more difficult than as a CD, for example. Mm. And I think even a cassette was longer play than a phono. Than an LP? Yeah. Uh, it could be, um, generally, it, generally it's going to be the same. Sometimes you would have some that could play longer, but the quality of those, uh, ended up not being as good. Those, those tapes ended up breaking a lot. I mean, that was the only way I had a music collection as a kid was by taping music off the radio. So I learned a lot about cassettes. Interesting. (laughs) The highest quality cassettes and the ones that weren't likely to break or get tangled. Yeah, you just get the regular normal ones, the ones that promise, you know, like extra long, you know, two hours or, you know, just obscene amount of playtime. It's maybe they can do that, but the tape that they used uh, was a lot weaker. Gotcha. All right. So what is your next choice? My next choice was Radar Love by the Golden Evening Earring, the Golden Earring. I don't even know like who this song is from, but it is a, you know, um... it's a classic rock staple. I mean, it's it's like it's the type of song that once played, you would imagine playing in on some radio in the 70s on some guy that's smoking a doobie on the way to go see Grand Funk Railroad in concert in Iowa. (laughs) You know, it has that feeling. It does have that feeling. It also has kind of a almost hearkening to the eighties kind of feeling to it. Read all love. I don't know. I like it. Yes. All right, my next one. I am shocked that you did not pick this. Um, it's from someone who uh, was uh, still in the top five of fan voting for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even though she had publicly come out and said that she didn't feel she deserved to be nominated, um, even though she ended up further retracting that, stating that if she were nominated, she would still accept the award. It's Dolly Parton with Jolene. Nice. Yes, one of my favorite songs ever. So yes, very surprising that I didn't get to didn't get to that, but I kind of got to five that I liked and I just sort of stopped looking and I must have not gotten to the Jays. 
Well, it, I, I do think this show, this list kind of shows that we did kind of look out of our scope because I got uh, a song from one of your favorite artists and you, the next one here is a song from one of my favorite artists. That's that you true. It's Ain't You Proud to Beg by the Rolling Stones, one of your favorite bands. Yep, from the um, rock and roll. It's, I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it album. Nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. My next choice, I guess I got to thank the Muppets for this one. Um, <laughs> Muppets and weed. Uh, John Denver, thank God I'm a country boy. Thank God I'm a country boy. Of course, I've heard that song many, many, many times. I mean, as a kid, I did, I did get annoyed at the Muppets Christmas special when he, when John Denver and the rest of the Muppets uh, started singing "She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain When She Comes" because that's a fucking earworm of a song yes. that doesn't leave your fucking head yes. ever. So fuck you, John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> so you you're thanking with one hand and smacking with the other. I know I do this to show that I I do my best to give people the breaks. Just because he annoyed me on one hand doesn't mean, you know, he didn't make some positive contributions to music. And if anything else, even if you do not like him as a musician whatsoever, in 1986, I believe, when the PMRC hearings hit Congress, he was one of the people that came and spoke and was actually one of the people that kind of swayed, you know, Congress from doing anything really stupid. So he's kind of a hero to free speech. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it when people are willing to put their necks out for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. All right, well, my next choice was Bungle in the Jungle by Jethro Tull, a little bit of a deep cut from 1974. I do not believe my parents were listening to that song, but I later in high school got kind of into Jethro Tull, kind of into the whole rock and roll flute thing. The only time I ever heard of, the first time I heard of Jethro Tull was like most metalheads of the 80s um, when the Grammys first had the, first had the, you know, favorite metal album of the year category. Oh, uh-huh. And Metallica um, had uh, Injustice for All, which had the, one of the greatest metal songs of all time in one, and Jethro Tull ended up winning. <laughs> and so you've always hated Jethro Tull. Not hated, but it's just like, who the fuck are they? <laughs> you know, with the <laughs> flute and whatever, you know, what is he, the Pied Piper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was just interesting instrumentation, I thought, for old Jethro. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm being facetious, of course, but, you know, and, and of course, it's as we can tell by my next choice here, it's not like I have the most prestigious taste in music anyway. It's another track from Kiss from the second album they released in that year. Um, kind of a deep, deep cut for them. It's called Let Me Go Rock and Roll, and it's Kiss at their best, just very simple, fast hard rock, just just something that just that can just make you swing. And it's a really fun song. Cool. All right, which next one? My next one is Diamond Dogs by David Bowie. So a great song, great artist. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they call them the Diamond Dogs. It's just a great song. 
it was this album that actually um, got me to read 1984 from George Orwell. Really? Yeah. Um, if, if, if I, I would put it out there for anybody that loves to read and loves music. If you go back to any article that David, any interview that David Bowie ever gave and he, he mentions a book he's reading, read that book. You know, and because like in, in this case, obviously it goes without saying 1984 is a classic. And when I read it, that book gutted me. And um, this was a, the album Diamond Dogs was actually supposed to be in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, part of a um, musical that he was going to do about 1984. Really? Mm-hmm. And you heard an interview where he said he was reading that or you knew that the song was going to be. No, I I mean, there are some tracks on the album that, that directly referenced 1984. I mean, there's a song on the album called 1984, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not, he didn't make, um, you know, the illusion secret or anything like that, but he wanted to do like, like a concept album or a musical or something like that. But um, ultimately, George Orwell's uh, estate still had rights to the book at that particular time. And so they said no. Wow. We still got one of the greatest Bowie albums ever, though, so nobody lost. Right, but wow, you think about how cool that would have been, a 1984 album by David Bowie. Mm -hmm. Or musical. Indeed. Last track here is a track that kind of helped inspire a character from uh, the first book I wrote. Uh, It's uh, from Queen, Killer Queen. Nice. And I guess this song inspired your female protagonist. Indeed. Whose name is Annie. Annie Walker, yeah. Annie Walker. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. But that is our playlist there. And as always, you can head to the show description. And that will take you to both our website and to Apple Music to where you can check out said playlist and listen to it for yourselves. Absolutely, please do. We love it when you enjoy the music that we've selected for you. All right, now, the topic at hand today. Absolutely. So, here's what I would like to talk about with you, Tim, and with our listeners, and that is being trauma-informed, because I have only really recently started hearing this term and only have recently come to understand what it means, and I feel like it would be beneficial for everyone to be trauma-informed in their dealings with other people. So I thought it would be cool to share with our listeners my understanding of what being trauma-informed means and maybe chat with you a little bit about um, ways that you could see it would be helpful Indeed, indeed. Cool. So, um, have you heard the term before, being trauma-informed? I have not. However, um, I did, um, upon us talking about this being a topic for today's show, uh, find an article from Harvard Medical School where they talked about... uh, 
being trauma-informed in the medical field. Mm -hmm. Um, They talked about a particular case um, to where um, a doctor was trying to give a vaccine to a young girl, and the young girl was freaking out. And, um, you know, the parent was just, you know, just like, just just do it, just do it. And then, you know, they ultimately said, you know, hey, the kid's freaking out. We'll do it on another day. The parents never came back, and then they found out at a later point that CPS ended up taking the kids from that particular family. So there was something else going on that was causing that girl to react the way she did. Being trauma-informed would have helped them maybe handle it a little bit better. Right. So the first step in being truly trauma-informed is to recognize that many, many people are touched by trauma in today's world. And um, those traumas can be anything from something you experience yourself, like moving house or changing jobs, getting a divorce, um, losing a friend or family member, um, going through a medical problem. And if you think back through your life, of how many years we're impacted by things like that happening. Um, And those are acute traumas. Mm -hmm. And um, there can also be chronic traumatic experiences like poverty. And, you know, there are a lot of people um, who, who experience that as well. So the first thing is to recognize that many, many people are impacted by traumas like that. Um, Violent crime, uh, obviously sexual assault, any kind of assault, those things are quite traumatic. Um, And then, you know, you can think of all kinds of specific traumas like having to be in a war zone or having to flee your country or having, uh, you know, being in the military period, I think is traumatic um, from my talking to people who've been in the military. So, uh, you know, there are lots of, just lots of ways people are traumatized directly. And then not only that, we can also be traumatized indirectly. So when though when there are people around us who we are giving support to who have experienced a trauma we can be vicariously traumatized by hearing about those situations and helping to process them um which is a very important job of therapists who have to be very mindful of their own mental health because of the prevalence of trauma of people that they're dealing with. When you recognize that everybody is impacted by trauma, the next question is like, what do you do about that? But what do you think about the concept of, you know, do you, in your experience with people, do you think most people that you have come into contact with are dealing with some type of trauma or have experienced some type of trauma? 
I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, yes. Um, does that mean that they express that in any way, shape, or form? No. I mean, because I think back, you know, to my experiences the past few years, you know, getting through a divorce and thinking, nah, I don't need therapy. <laughs> you know, I'm out. I'm free. What do I have to deal with now? <laughs> <laughs> right. That was all her. <laughs> right. And then yeah. you, you begin to see, you know, you build those own, those patterns again in your life and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't need to fix nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not me. It's the situation or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as a community college professor, that sort of recognition really helps me. And so that's why I related it to what the Harvard Medical Review was um, talking about, which is, you know, recognizing that trauma may be occurring and being willing to talk about that, I think, is is also part of the recognize step. I agree with that. Looks like you're bringing up some information here. I am, yeah, absolutely. So, um, then, so if we realize that people are likely to have experienced some type of trauma, then we also have to understand what does that mean? You know, what, what are the consequences for us of experiencing trauma um and so signs that you have are going through traumatic experience are the typical fight flight freeze and fawn responses um so when you find yourself reacting with a fight flight freeze or fawn response which i think certainly you guys have talked about on friends talking nerdy in the past um and most people have heard of these responses so i don't i don't feel like we need to go into describing what they are but just recognizing that people in that state of mind you know what's the impact of that it's that they're not thinking clearly, they're not thinking strategically or critically, they're responding to stimuli, they're reacting to stimuli, and um, you wouldn't ask somebody who had just been in a motor vehicle accident to sign a really complicated contract. Like, you would be like, oh, you're shaken up. You need some time. And there are some traumas that we really recognize, like I just got in a car accident. Yeah. And then there are other traumas that we don't recognize so much or that are, are taboo to talk about or to acknowledge. And, of course, secret keeping is its own toxicity. So it's all related to some extent. I will add on to that the healthcare system in this country. I mean, kind of making it almost impossible for anybody at a certain tax bracket and below uh, to be able to adequately get any sort of help they need on any sort of a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And how traumatic it can be to need healthcare. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, I want to go play some video games or I want a soda pop or, 
you know, those kinds of wants. Mm -hmm. It's something that you really need. And if you don't get it, something could happen up to and including your death. And so when you try to access services that you know you need to for your health, and that's denied you, whether just through a long wait time, not being able to get through to someone, having inconvenient appointments and inconvenient locations, sort of all of those really simple barriers that aren't directed at individuals have traumatic effects on people. So, um, and it's not only the people in the healthcare that are accessing and using the healthcare system that are traumatized by it, but also the people inside of it, the doctors and nurses and um, other staff. Yeah, I mean, there is, it's its own little ecosystem of hospital, and that's not even taking into account, like, insurance companies or pharmacies or, you know, like, big industrial pharmacies or something like that. Just, you know, especially over the past couple of years, they've all been through a lot. Yeah, and then when you think about our economy and where do most people work, it is in service, retail, Education and healthcare. That is what the, where most of people's money goes, and those are the largest organizations and institutions in our communities. Usually, mm-hmm. um, education institutions and healthcare institutions. And um, one of the things about being trauma informed is that you look at the whole ecosystem and appreciate the trauma that's happening in various parts of the organization. And it's very true that traumatized people cannot, who are in a trauma response, cannot help other people who are also in a trauma response. And that's when all, you know, all the COVID impacts on the healthcare system and I was hearing from nurses and doctors like this is not okay and people were crying on video and quitting in record numbers mm-hmm. and you know had the healthcare system been resilient enough to be trauma informed in the way that it treated its employees that might not have happened but Profit over mental health, right? Right, because how could that system have avoided it? It could have had more redundancy built in. It could have had less of a just-in-time approach and had more on-ramps and runways of supplies. And people could be paid better. I mean, I think the wages in healthcare professions have, have, you know, they've, been just as stagnant as everybody else's wages Uh, yeah because like more and more like when i was in retail you know i was always kind of embarrassed by what i was earning but then i would find out that there were people that had degrees that i was earning more than and it was just like fuck you know Doing the jobs they train to do. Yes, you know, like, uh, you know, they're going into severe debt to earn less than some schmuck who works at the Apple store, you know. Right. Doesn't seem fair, does it? 
Um, okay, so if we have recognized that lots of people are traumatized, that a whole systems are impacted, um, that the signs of trauma include those fight, flight, and fawn and freeze responses, then we need to actually respond to the trauma. How can do we make people safe so that they can not be in trauma response when they're trying to do some executive function? Um, so is there... Are you offering comfort to people? Are you offering acceptance to people? Are you offering, you know, things unconditionally, whether that be a place to sit or someone to talk to or um, opportunities to process their trauma? So counseling services, other things being integrated into all of our organizations and systems so that it's not, oh, there's something wrong with Sally. It is, these are services that are available to everyone that everyone needs sometime. Um, so having those systems in place that can respond. Now, that's why it's hard for individuals to be trauma-informed, um, unless they themselves have had some training in how to approach people who are experiencing trauma. Um, that kind of training is available to individuals and, uh, you know, obviously you don't have to become a professional therapist to be trauma-informed, but you do have to have some tools to be able to respond to people in trauma. Like e-meters from the Church of Scientology. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. You <laughs> plug them into your e-meter. Um, and then the final step, which I, or the final thing, which I think is perhaps most difficult, is avoiding re-traumatization. So how can we perform services, whatever we're doing for other people or providing to other people, how do we do it in a way that doesn't re-traumatize them. So if I, as a instructor in a class, have students who've been traumatized in their education, I certainly don't want to, you know, sort of to me, the bottom line is don't re-traumatize people. Um, how can I accomplish my goals, which are to convey, have students experience um, specific experiences that will lead to them meeting the objectives of the course. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in people feeling bad or guilty or uh, ashamed or any of those things that I feel a very directive approach in the classroom can lead to. And so part of my work of being trauma-informed in the classroom is figuring out ways that I can um, teach to different learning styles, teach to people from different cultural milieus, and do so in ways that are not 
likely to be traumatizing. So, you know, people have test anxiety that comes from trauma experienced while taking tests. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the things that impact that are the time pressure, uh, distractions in the room, you know, all things that can be avoided if you plan ahead and you're not just saying, okay, everyone must act the same all the time. And if they don't, they're losers. And that is just so often the approach that I see people take in their day-to-day lives. Like, oh, that person is annoying, and so I'm going to avoid that person. Or, oh, that person, you know, doesn't have good fashion sense, so I'm going to avoid that person. Like, obviously, that's not a trauma, but I guess I just mean... (laughs) Maybe for some people, I mean. (laughs) You know, to me, it's about, like, trying to take people where they're at without judgment. And, um, you know, really communicate. And people can't process new information when they're in a state of trauma. And so you're not going to be able to communicate with people if they're experiencing trauma. And look at everything this country has been through in the past 20 years. I mean, we have a whole generation of people that have known nothing but war, pestilence, weird weather. Um, and, yeah, they're a little traumatized, you know. And, and, and look, look what happened over the past couple of years with the pandemic. I mean, um, you know, my mental health has definitely been affected, you know, much more so than it ever has been in terms of my anxiety being outside. And, you know, the pandemic is a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the pandemic has traumatized people. Like the two weeks that we had to turn around our... Um, classes to teach them remotely like that was a traumatizing couple of weeks and that was like the least of it mm-hmm. what came after you know that sort of endless waiting that unknown the f- danger around every corner or even you know in terms of you know what you had to deal with at school um just because the school had resources for you as faculty to be able to give those classes doesn't mean the students necessarily had those tools available to be able to take remote classes right and so there was a whole rollout that took at least one whole quarter of like how do we get the tools in students hands mm-hmm. because you know stuff doesn't happen instantaneously when you're trying to buy and distribute technology for example Mm. yeah but very good point so i mean that that's kind of the long and short of it the short and sweet of it um i you know i just really encourage people to think about your your fellow human um and their situation and um you know just try to be try to be a good person and that includes sort of understanding this paradigm of recognizing that people go through trauma recognizing the signs of trauma uh creating a reaction that's helpful for people who are traumatized and then avoiding the re-traumatization of people brings up something my sister actually brought up um she had made a comment to me about 
something I had said in one of the TNT uh, review episodes, which which is available on the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. <laughs> um, and I had brought up the golden rule, you know, in terms of treat others the way you want to be treated. And she mentioned something about um, it should really be the platinum rule. Um, you should treat others the way they want to be treated because there is a difference because not everybody wants to be tre- wants to be treated like the way I want to be treated um because if that were the case then nobody would go outside much you know right and sometimes you don't know and guess what it's okay to ask um, you know, and I think that that's something the pandemic has helped. Like, I have people asking me now, is it okay to give you a hug? Which it feels totally okay to say no to. And even just that kind of acknowledgement that, like, not everybody wants to embrace another person upon first meeting them. Like, hey, that might not feel safe to everybody. Or even shaking hands. I mean, I think she, if shaking hands goes away, I would be so happy. There's no reason for it. Yeah, I think we should start bowing. Or something, or, you know, like interpretive dancing, right? Or if you wear a hat, just tip in the hat. You got served. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these are the kinds of things we think about around here at um, friends talking nerdy studios um i hope that you have had and continue to have an excellent first week of may indeed there is going to be a lot of fun pop culture related stuff this month especially uh from the disney conglomerate um this week uh we have the new Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness directed by the great Sam Raimi coming out. I cannot wait to see that because they, there are so many cameos that are going to be in it. And they've already confirmed Patrick Stewart as Professor X is going to be in the movie. Oh my god! Yeah, that's really exciting. Yep. Then, of course, uh, later in the month you have Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. Pretty excited about that. Indeed, indeed. Um, what I'm excited about most of all, too, is the fact that we have a new show on the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. No way. Indeed. Who is it? Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Um, as you are hearing this, uh, his latest episode is already out, and he will have interviewed the author David Morrell, who, um, if you are not familiar, wrote this book called First Blood that one Sylvester Stallone turned into a franchise that we know and love, the Rambo franchise. That is really cool. I bet that's going to be a great episode. I cannot wait to hear that one, yeah. Yeah, so definitely excited about uh, having having uh, new people aboard because, like, he, you know, he kind of gets what we want to do with that network because, you know, we, we don't have grand illusions that our network is anything like, uh, you know, NPR or anything like that. You know, I already you know, mentioned that in Friends Talking Nerdy, but, you know, for as I, I feel creative creatively i've prospered the most in scenarios where people were helping each other out not where people were taking each other out mm-hmm. absolutely that cooperative power is powerful 
Indeed, yeah. So, you know, definitely glad he's aboard, and uh, we'll definitely have some news about maybe some more shows joining later, too. Awesome. The more the merrier. Indeed, indeed. Definitely, uh, definitely glad to have uh, more people aboard. So, anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of being trauma-informed? Nope. Like I said, that was the short version, and I hope that people found it useful. Indeed. Well, I certainly did, and I thank you for bringing that topic and talking about it today. I really appreciated it. No problem. Thanks for talking to me about it. Anytime. And I thank you all for listening to our wonderful conversation here. Guess what, folks? We're at the down end of the hump. The weekend is almost here. We hope you have a good one. Stay safe. Be careful out there.